Hi, this is Bob Murphy, and you're listening to the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome to the show that gets Christians thinking about faith and politics. Get ready to challenge the statist quo, expand your imagination, and tackle controversy head on. Let's stand together at the intersection of faith and freedom. It's time for the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to the Libertarian Christian Podcast. I'm Jason Rink on the board of the Libertarian Christian Institute. With me today is our executive director, Nick Gosling, along with LCI president, Dr. Norman Horn. Today, Norman is going to lead a discussion about the perennial topic of Christians and voting. But first, we have to get something out of the way. The Libertarian Christian Institute is a registered 501c3 nonprofit organization. And as such, we cannot and will not advocate for or against specific candidates or legislation. We can't, and we won't, tell you who and what to vote for. Today we're going to talk about philosophy, about theology, and about the ways we approach voting as an idea. And, you know, Norman, I think the first thing we need to do is I think we need to get some definitions established and really just sort of uh, talk about the various different ways we can and can or... or will or won't engage in voting. Um, I think when people think of it naturally, the first thing they think about is, you know, the presidential election or candidates, that sort of thing. But there's really a, a lot of different ways that we can take take part in this whole voting thing. And so uh, why don't you just break it down for us about uh, really the different parts of voting in American politics? Sure. Thanks, Jason. We need to point out that at the very beginning, there are two parts of voting in American politics. As you, as you suggested, the first one we often think about, and the one that is often most discussed in Christian circles, is that about offices. Who are we going to elect for the president? Or who are we going to elect for a senator or something to that effect? But we also often will need to engage in voting, or we are asked to engage in voting with regards to referendums or specific legislation that is put before the public uh, as a as something to either approve or disapprove of. Now, there are other forms of voting which we will not really be getting into, namely voting when in in terms of like voluntary organizations. Uh, such as your homeowners association or something more like what happens in a in a small group of people who need a some type of rational way of making a decision. Uh, and then, of course, there's voting that can happen as legislators uh, go about actually, you know, being part of of whatever representative system that they're in. You're you're a senator, you're a representative, uh, you're part of the city council or something to that effect. And we're not really talking either about those voluntary organizations or what happens in the legislative bench, uh, we're really speaking more about offices and then what happens when uh, a referendum is put before the public. So often, uh, when, we, when we begin a discussion about voting in the context of Christian faith, I, th I think it's worthy to point out that this is almost taken the realm of, of almost a mythos in American Christendom. And what I mean by that is very simply, like, what people like Neil Postman and other cultural critics have uh, have have brought forward and, def and defined as something mythic in our society, something that has become such a part of our popular 
uh, our popular consciousness that we don't even pay attention to it anymore. It's just, we just assume that it's always been this way in a sense. It's, it's just a matter, it's just a matter of fact. It's not something that has come about as a, uh, as a mean, as a, as a part of a political and cultural context. Um, but, but it's something that is just is, and that's a, and that's what voting has often become even to American Christendom. And it comes with it, a sort of attitude that, well, you know, everybody just needs to vote. Just vote. It doesn't matter what you do. You just got to vote. You got to vote. And you hear this all the time uh, in, in, in American Christianity. What's interesting about it, too, though, is how, in some sense, especially in the conservative Christian world, uh, it often is a sort of surreptitious and subtle means of almost like manipulation and control, because even though they talk about, well, you just need to go out and vote. It's always with the implication of, well, there is a way you should vote, and we're going to tell you what that is. What that is. Even though, as uh, nonprofit organizations, church, churches can't tell people, of course, who they're supposed to vote for or what legislation they should vote for or against, it's it's quite well implied. And and I don't necessarily begrudge them the right to to want to do something like that, but. What's interesting is how it has become a right of faith and an article of faith as opposed to uh, something that is, that is a, a, a more personalized choice. Uh, and I think it, it, re- it actually reinforces – this type of attitude reinforces a kind of paradigm of the theology of the state that, that conservative Christians and also liberal Christians for that matter uh, keep, keep in, in mind, in the back of their minds at least – as they're as they're going about you know doing theology, um, and 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 that really is that the state is has taken on the form of, of of that myth as well. It just is. It didn't come about in some uh, political and cultural context. This is the way that it should be. It is the way that it is, and not something that that is uh, worthy of critical uh, reflection at every step of the way. So, if anything, uh, one of the th- one of those. One of the thoughts that we hope that I, I would hope that you would take away from this is give some of these ideas that you've previously perhaps considered as taken for granted, as worthy of reflection and 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 serious uh, consideration. So, guys, where do you see this cropping up in your churches today or in popular Christian thought? What do you think? Well, you know, Norman, I actually a few years ago was with a friend of mine and. We were actually going down to the county building because he was deregistering to vote. This was probably about three years ago. And where I live is it's one of the largest cities in the country and also one of the largest counties. So this particular county building is like a fortress. It's it's a multi-billion dollar palace in the middle of downtown. And so we pull up and uh, walk inside and the county commission chambers are are right there through the front doors. And we're going to the the registrar of voters office for him to deregister. And right out there in the hallway outside the county commission building, it's just loaded with lobbyists. So I was walking him through the building and I kind of felt like uh, Virgil in Dante's Inferno, guiding Dante through the caverns of hell and pointing out different things to him about the, uh, the, the system that he was witnessing. And so anyway, we go in, we deregister to vote, uh, he, he deregisters to vote, we're walking out, and uh, we run into a good friend of ours who is a uh, professional political consultant, and he's right outside the county building, and he, or outside the commission chambers, 
And he's there with this older gentleman who's in a suit and tie. And uh, the guy asks us, so what are you guys doing here? And my friend says, well, I just deregistered to vote. And the guy just goes ballistic. He's like, do you know how many people died so that you could have the right to vote? Why don't you want to vote anymore? You know, all, all these typical sort of things. And then after he calms down, the guy looks at us and goes, uh, so um, you guys got got any weed? I'd, I'd like to buy some drugs. <laughs> this is right outside the county commission uh, chambers. So the the humorous thing about that that moment is this guy is sitting here berating us, or, or my friend in particular, for, for his decision to no longer uh, partake in voting, and then immediately turns around and asks us to sell him some drugs right outside the county commission chamber. But, you know, the, the interesting thing <laughs> about it is... <laughs> is it, it's, the reaction the guy had was just so almost violent in a way at the idea that someone would not want to vote because in the United States, we've sort of been inculcated to believe that this is the, the way you give homage to democracy. You know, you're a bad person if you, if you don't partake in this system. Uh, now, Jason, you've actually written some, t- some stuff and, and talked on this a fair amount. So uh, what are your observations on how that sort of plays out in contemporary America? Well, I definitely think you're on to something when you talk about it as a sacrament. Um, and there's so much that goes on in our society right now that's really so social signaling, you know, uh, virtue signaling, this whole idea that um, you know, hey, I voted, you know, we just came, came out of this where there was this big push to vote, just vote. And as Norm, you know, indicated, it's, uh, it's not just this harmless sort of thing. It's not as, as though you're just supposed to vote generally. There's always a, uh, there's always a push in the background to get you to vo- vote in a certain way. There's a certain way that as a Christian you should vote, and depending on sort of which school of Christianity and whether you're in the sort of left-leaning camp of social justice or whether you're in the right-leaning camp of Christian conservatives and uh, you know wanting to legislate morality. And the, the further you go into this the, the, and, and start to see how offended people will get when you don't participate in the sacrament of voting, that's when you really start to recognize, oh, I'm actually dealing with a religion here. People get very, very emotional and reactionary when you, um, when you violate one of the dogmas of their religious system. And so... Yeah, it's almost like you, you will often hear people talk about not voting almost as as a worse sin than like not going to church every week or something to that effect like oh yeah you missed you missed your you missed a church you missed a church for a month well you know we'll we'll give you a pass but don't vote well don't even don't even go there right i mean i don't norm if you don't vote i don't even know if you're a christian dude like uh that's you know that becomes it sort of becomes that way and yet People who walk around in our society and claim to be non-religious or non-Christian, yet when it comes to the sacraments of the state, you start to see that the 
the government buildings start to become the temples and the high priests of the religion are the representatives in Congress and the Senate. That's like the, you know, it's like the cardinals and, and the popes, you know, it's the president. And you start to get into this whole idea of, well, wait a minute, where's the religion of state taught? Where, where are we uh, taught the doctrines of the religion of state. And it's clearly in the public school system where you're also forced to pledge allegiance to the flag. And, uh, you know, so you start to examine the different institutions within our society and you start to understand that, oh, this this religion of statism has been slowly, uh, that's been, you know, it's, we haven't been in a society where, uh, state and religion has been separated. Uh, Christianity and religion may have been separated, but statism is a religion that is very much married um, into our into our government, obviously. And so, uh, voting then becomes this way that we pledge our uh, fidelity to that system. It becomes the way that we say we support and endorse at least the system. We agree that this is the way that we elect leaders. It's the way that we trans- transition government. And I think it's very interesting when we get into this lesser of two evils mentality and also what we've seen in the aftermath of, of Trump being elected. You know, there was this this moment in this debate between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump where, you know, Clinton and all of the people who were predicting the outcome of the election, they were so certain she was going to win. And they, they, they asked Donald Trump, now, Donald, if you uh, lose this election, which everybody thought he was going to, to foregone conclusion, they're like, are you going to accept the peaceful transition of power? Are you going to accept the outcome of the election? And, of course, when he said, well, we'll see what happens or whatever he said, people were like, wow, you have violated one of the most sacred things in our democracy, the peaceful transition of power. And yet, what have we seen happening ever since he won the election is those on the other side of the coin have done everything but accept uh, and, and submitted to the peaceful transition of power. It's been a complete process of trying to delegitimize and and trying to protest and carrying on protests about I don't even really know what and and the point the point being the point being that this whole process isn't you know um, the only way for us to stand outside of that process I believe and to be able to stand outside of it and to sort of say now don't you think this is maybe the process is the problem? Don't you think that the system might be problematic? Don't you think that there might be something wrong when half of the entire country like, can't even stand the individual who's just become president? And likewise, if, if Hillary Clinton would have won, the same thing. We've just got this completely divided set of people, and yet all of them are posting Facebook posts saying, be sure to vote. We've got to vote. We've got to do our thing. And yet nobody's happy in the end. So I just think there's a there's an inherent flaw in this whole process and in the whole uh, voting as uh, as a way of, of doing this. Um, 
I don't know. I feel like I just went on a strange tangent there, but uh, any thoughts on that? I think it's fine. Well, I think you're sort of pointing out in a sense a bug in the system. You know, as you as you mentioned, there's this there are all these. These, these, there's all these attitudes that come about or that are intrinsic to the kind of American mentality of voting these days. And one of them, uh, one of them is that this sort of, uh, it indicates your fealty to, to this system. It, you know, so that regardless of what happens, well, at least you're supposed, at least, at least you're uh, giving credence to the system. You, you bought in that way because you did your part, your civic duty and the language that's used uh, is is all is very much in line with this, and it and it kind of has become on the verge of a sacrament, and even within our churches today, it is kind of taken on that form of language uh, as well, and that's and that kind of belies a, a very important point about the nature of statism, and that it is it kind of is an insidious uh, bug in the in in people's minds um, to, that that kind of draws your heart towards it in a way that is akin to religion and that bug is is present when you uh when you try and and participate in that as a christian as well and it kind of beg it begs the question you know like can a man serve two masters on some level and uh and perhaps and perhaps that you know there are other ways we can kind of think about it too that that will uh give us some additional context but i think it's worth it's worth mentioning that this is a an issue that has not been just e- it's not easily resolved. So let's talk about two kind of slightly contrasting views of voting uh, from sort of a both a libertarian and Christian perspective here. You know, one of the things you'll hear in certain libertarian literature, uh, you'll see this even with uh, like the the great libertarian Walter Block and others, is talking about kind of voting as a self defense mechanism. And in in some sense, it is connected on on a level to you might even call it a lesser of two evils mentality. In that you're when you are voting, um, there there's there's varying components of that that can be kind of like self defense. You're sort of protecting yourself from oh, the the worst outcomes that you can envision. Uh, you can you can even envision on on some level just the participation in the system is as a means of self defense. You know you you just have in this case you just got one bullet you may as well use it sort of thing. Um, another another thing you could kind of think about though is just slightly different uh, a different way of thinking about the outcomes is uh, kind of I'm going to refer to an essay. This will be in the show notes as well uh, for for the for the episode itself on our website at libertarianchristians.com is uh, voting as hiring ethics. And so I'm referring specifically to this essay. We'll link to it uh, by David Gronoski in, in mid-2016 written, where he talks about how, uh, you know, if, you've, if you're out there as a, an employer and you're hiring somebody to do something on your behalf, say, for instance, you're going to hire somebody as like a sales representative. And what happens if that sales representative that you've hired to work on your behalf goes to clients and, and if they do something that you don't like, uh, you, you, your sales representative begins to physically threaten them. Or, you know, if they, for instance, if they don't pay you uh, on time or something, they go and kidnap them. And then when they, you know, maybe if they resist, they, you know, they beat them up or they, you know, they act like a mafia guy or something like that effect. And then, you know, you find out that uh, this is not altogether dissimilar to what we're doing 
when we hire people as politicians, because what is the government but the use of force to to enact a, a certain types of of standards and and uh, and activities, uh, whether that's taxation or moral uh, moral regulations or just regulations and rules on businesses and individuals. Uh, and so, one way to think about this is: is am I ever permitted as a Christian, in particular, to delegate just get what I want uh, whenever whenever I want to do that? And and what David says, and I think this is a this is a uh, something we ought to take to heart is that. We really ought not to do that. We shouldn't delegate violence to others just because, well, it's, you know, it's somebody else. I'm, a whole bunch of people just said that it was okay, so therefore it is okay. Uh, we, don't, we know as Christians we're not really supposed to act like that. We're not supposed to just delegate to others uh, some type of responsibility to use violence on our behalf because we ourselves are not to use violence in order to just get what we want. So that's kind of a summary of, an, of the ideas of voting as a, as a self-defense mechanism or also as hiring ethics. They're slightly different from one another and, and uh, different ways of thinking about this. What do you guys think? Yeah, you know, Norm, this uh, actually kind of reminds me of something we talked about in a previous episode regarding when, when does the state go from being just sort of a, a criminal enterprise uh, into being a, a legitimate institution, you know. So if you had, let's say, the three of us, we get together and we go decide that we're going to rob Joe and take all his money, well, that's that's criminal activity, right? That's that's armed robbery. But when that happens on a, on a grand scale, uh, eventually it becomes the state. Um, and when you look at, like, classical history and how governments have evolved, they all, they've all kind of come from some action akin to that uh, in, in a way. If not outright warlords and, and conquest, uh, then at least an outcropping thereof. So at what point does a, a private gang of individuals become a government? And so when we think about voting as, as hiring ethics, as an individual, if you step into the polling booth and you vote for someone intending for them to tax your neighbor to pay for things that you think they should pay for or intending to, at the point of a gun, make your neighbor do what you want him to do, uh, particularly if it, if it relates to completely voluntary uh, activity that hurts no one else, may not be wise, may not be ethical, but it is voluntary – uh, then, in fact, you are commissioning that person to act on your behalf, and you become a partaker in whatever evil they commit. And in in legal theory and in Western common law, this is known as the the principal and agency concept. So, if and this is this is hypothetical, if we accept that the individuals of a particular country possess some form of sovereignty over the other people in that country, then when they go to cast their vote with a particular intent for a particular person, uh, it's, it's essentially the same as if they had done the very things that they're commissioning the state to do on their behalf. Uh, it's like if somebody hires an assassin, uh, even though they don't pull the trigger, that doesn't mean they're not guilty of murder. Uh, so, And I think most people... And, and even most Christians, they don't they don't ever consider these these ramifications and the the ethics of 
what they're doing and and what they're sending other people to do. Now, if you take it from the self-defense perspective, uh, I, I think that's a lot more justifiable. You know, you could say, well, uh, I don't agree with this system. Uh, the system itself is is inherently unethical, and yet I was forced into this, and I'm going to do what I can within the bounds of my ethics to uh, to mitigate and work against the evil of this system. Uh, nevertheless, that may mean that it makes sense for me to vote for the so-called lesser of two evils, even though I'd prefer uh, that that person also not be in a position of arbitrary state power. Uh, that that is the choice that I've that I that I have. Uh, let's say two likely outcomes: the really bad guy or the somewhat bad guy. Uh, maybe I should vote for the somewhat bad guy. So I'm not I'm not saying I, I necessarily agree with that position, but I understand how people uh, how they get there. And you know to kind of to kind of consider how we wind up with these sorts of, of choices. You know, it, when you look at your your options between candidates, especially at a national level, um, oftentimes it's just you have a bunch of really bad choices. And you're, if you do have a good candidate, often they don't really have much of a, of a chance of winning. And that's not always the case, but it's often the case. And uh, a, a book that I reference quite a bit, one of my favorite books in political philosophy is Hans Hermann Hoppe's book, Democracy, the God that Failed. And in that, he actually talks about how democracy is the worst type of government system because it encourages uh, the, the collectivism of resources. So people get elected to these jobs, uh, various positions of government power, and they aren't the owners of the country or the state or the county or the city or what have you. Uh, they are temporary stewards of it. And so it's in their incentive, uh, considering all that we know about time value and and uh, subjective theory and how people consider uh, property and stewardship, if you're elected to that kind of an office, uh, it is your incentive to squander it and do what you can with it while you're in power, because soon you will be in power and someone else will be. Uh, whereas in contrast, privately owned government, by this Hoppe means uh, like monarchies that are hereditary, while he's not endorsing that system by any means, they do have a tendency to not abuse their public as much and not squander the resources as much because they view it as their property, not the people's property. But this whole idea of we're all the government and it belongs to all of us collectively and we're going to elect people to go and administer it for us for a time, uh, really this is just ultra-socialist collectivism on the grandest scale and it encourages the squandering of resources and as a result, democracies tend to uh, ring up the biggest debts and come up with the stupidest policies because they are intrinsically short-sighted. I think this brings to mind something that I've definitely wrestled with, which is the question as to... Th there are many people who are going to tell us that we have some sort of moral accountability or moral reason to vote, you know, just like you um, 
we're saying earlier, you know, the, the, the guy in that story who's like, do you realize how many people have died to give you the right to vote? And this, this idea that, you know, the, the soldiers and the founding fathers and all of these different, uh, all of these prices were paid in blood and lives so that I could vote. And so therefore I need to. Um, but the question then is, well, what is my moral accountability f- for the person that I vote for? Meaning now that I've endorsed this individual and they go on to take office and then they go on to wield violence in a way that results in people dying, that results in theft, that results in all sorts of activities that I find immoral or wrong, at at what point do, do I become accountable or responsible for the individuals that I've voted for and that I've given power to? Yes, I think that's a great question that that it is worth it's worth seriously considering as someone who is part of, you know, for good or for ill, uh, this American culture in this regard. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's that's worthy for every Christian to kind of to think about. And and it does bring up another question. Okay, so suppose suppose you begin to take on uh, a greater sense of responsibility for well these people, these representatives or those who claim to represent uh, me on the basis of uh, on the basis of a whole lot of people approving of this person via some type of voting element. Uh, why vote at all at that point? Maybe maybe not participating is is uh, is a valuable option. So at the very least, you know that can be that can be part of the calculus at that point because frankly, you know, voting when it comes down to it, it has a as a lesser importance uh, than so many other things that we could be doing, both to affect social change and improve our own personal and and uh, and family's well being. Politics isn't everything, and in fact, it's very unimportant in the grand scheme of things. You know, we, we're recording this very shortly after the inauguration day of of the new Donald Trump administration. Uh, but you know, and when we have seen a lot of the the furor around it, uh, to to use a, uh, a an interesting little pun on what some of the left believes is about to happen, uh, but the 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 craziness surrounding all of this kind of makes one wonder what kind of system is is this incentivizing in the first place? Is there a better way that we can uh, that we can behave, act, and do? Uh, is there is there something better? Um, and is voting really all that important? Are you re- like, for instance, we could ask ourselves: Are you even statistically probable to affect a vote? Probably not. And when it comes down to it, you know, it, you're really not. And are we are we placing too much hope in politicians when we go and we do these and we and we participate in voting systems like this? You know, it, there's a there's a the grand verse that I I love to to. To uh, to quote, you know, put not your hope in princes, or if you really want to take it into the modern the modern uh, era, or presidents, or senators, or representatives, or city council members, and really, when it comes down to it, are you not a greater force for change? Just as a an individual, an individual, can you do better on your own as a, as someone who is advocating for God and for and for the Christian faith? for a different kind of culture than that which is typically approved of in America. 
Yeah, you know, it seems like a lot of times when there's particular people who may choose not to vote uh, and they're getting into an argument with somebody else who is very self-righteous about why everyone must vote, uh, the the accusation that's leveled is often something to the effect of your you don't care or you're being lazy or you know something along those lines. But like you were talking about, it, voting is really one of the least effective things you can do to affect societal change. So even if you accept the premise that voting is is ethical to to do. Uh, it is still one of the least effective things that can be done as an individual. And a lot of these people who are so self-righteous about voting, the other 364 days of the year, they don't do anything to improve society. Uh, they, they don't try to educate the people around them about politically relevant or about liberty or about free market economics. Uh, they, they think that they have done their civic responsibility uh, just by voting on on election day. And then meanwhile, you have other people who may choose not to vote at all, but they devote a substantial amount of time towards improving society and educating other people and trying to create a better world. So yeah, when you look at the, the statistics of it, uh, the, the, the odds of your individual vote actually materially determining the outcome of an election uh, are astronomically low. Uh, and the the larger the constituency, uh, particularly in the case of a national election like the presidency, uh, it's it's about as close to zero as you can get without actually being zero in terms of probability. Uh, the The more local races, yeah, there, there may be a slightly better chance of it, but it's still not even close to a good chance. There's only been a couple of times when I've ever actually seen it come close, and these are in races when there, where there's only a few hundred people voting. Uh, so thinking that uh, by, by voting you're somehow going to uh, make the world a better place, it, it just doesn't tend to work out that way, even if, even if you think it is uh, acceptable to, to try. To be fair, we, we, we do need to point out that you know, these, these people, 364 days a year go out and they do make a difference in society by doing their normal jobs, by being good neighbors and whatnot. It's actually on the one day a year that they make it worse in many respects. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, it's like, wow, if you had only just not voted, you would have 365 days a year probably made the world a better place, but you had to go and vote and ruin it. Now, um, that's a good point. And I think the other question that comes to mind is how, how committed am I to this idea of non-voting? I have voted at times and I've not voted at times. I've, I've done both. Um, and you know, I feel like we can run into situations where people, because of their preconceived ideas about this, and, and most people, they don't care about the statistical probability of whether or not a vote matters. It's People are doing it for the psychic benefit. They're doing it because it makes them feel better about their participation. And, and it's virtue signaling. It, virtue it, it, signaling. It shows that they're, that they're approving and that they're part of everybody else. Right. So I think the question I, I have, I pose, and I think that we really need to think about is, number one, 
is our participation or non-participation in voting, is that something that we can do, number one, and feel morally good about it, whichever way we we decide? And I think this is largely an issue of conscience. Uh, and number two, how can we use our stance on the issue as a means to educate people around us about why we decide to do what we're doing? And is there a way that we can take a message of uh, non-participation in voting and turn that into something where we can educate about what Jesus might have to say about uh the power structures or the kingdoms of men or what the Bible might have to say about putting our trust in, in horses and princes and the things of this world. So, you know, I'm interested in how I can take this position that I have. And we all know that facts don't always sway people. We know that those aren't always the best, uh, ways to convince people of a, of a different position or a less popular position. But is there a way that we can communicate our position to other Christians in the church or other people in our culture and say, look, I don't vote, and here's why, and I think it's the moral uh, stance. I think it's the the right stance. And this is just my opinion on this. I mean, uh, I don't think we are all necessarily sitting here advocating saying, you shouldn't vote. No one should vote. If you're a true Christian libertarian, you never vote. It's not what we're saying, but uh, I think abstinence from voting or considering reasons not to vote uh, in the face of a of a majority and a current and a culture that treats it as a religious sacrament. I think it's wise for us to take a step back and consider that maybe non-voting is the moral choice. Yeah, you know, Jason, what this uh, actually reminds me of is there was a great political book written like centuries ago, more of an es- extended essay, really, by uh, Etienne de la Boutie, and it's called The Discourse of Voluntary Servitude. It's just a great piece of, of classical uh, libertarian literature. And in that work, what uh, Boutie basically says is that governments persist in their tyrannies on the basis of some kind of uh, presumed consent. So even even in a really brutal dictatorship, the reason that it is able to uh, subsist is because the people are at least implicitly granting some type of consent to the system. They, they are cooperating with it. They're tolerating it. They're believing that ultimately they're better off with it than without it. And so what uh, he said is that if you really want to to topple a tyranny, you don't have to take up arms. You don't have to inflict violence. You just have to stop complying uh, with the tyranny that is enslaving you and your neighbors around you. And at that point, the tyranny kind of falls apart simply out of noncompliance without a shot ever being fired. And I think that there's something to be said for that with the issue of refraining uh, from voting. Now, I mean, I've been personally all over on this matter. I've been uh, in professional politics. I've uh, not voted. So I, I've been all across this spectrum. So I'm I'm sympathetic to people who land in, in different conclusions on this. Uh, but like you said, it, 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 there is something to that with this idea that we could say not voting is not just 
not just inaction, but that you can actually do something active with it. You can take it as an opportunity to strip ethical legitimacy away from a bad system and then explain to other people why you're making that decision. I'm really glad you brought that up. And, and I definitely recommend people take a look at The Politics of Obedience by Etienne de la uh, it's, it's, it's a book that you can get for free, and we'll, we'll leave a link in the show notes that you can, that you can uh, go and download an EPUB or a PDF and, and ch- take a look at that. It's a centuries-old book that is definitely worth uh, keeping in your, in your uh, library. So I think we're, we're about ready to wrap this up, and, and so I want to conclude with a few final thoughts here as we, as we end this podcast. Ultimately, what we're trying to get across is not to give you one way or another an answer of you should, you should always vote or you should never vote, but we want you to keep a sober perspective on voting. Think about what it is, its effectiveness, and things like that. I think that even just our tentativeness in some of our own thoughts on these matters demonstrates that this is a really, not just a sensitive topic, it's something that's very difficult to wrap our minds around at times because of the cultural context in which we live. But we think we can, re- we can conclude a few important things right off the bat. Look, it's not some sacred, super important uh, sacrament to, of being American that you go and vote every time that you can. Uh, there, there's a, a virtue in thinking reflectively about it and concluding whether or not it is uh, worth uh, the effort and the message that it sends uh, by voting in a particular direction uh, or not. And, you know, frankly, the outcome is not something that's going to be decided by you. Uh, Fortunately, we have a greater hope in this world uh, from from the, the God who has who is, is in control of all things and works all things for the good of those who love him. And we can be confident and rest in that fact, uh, that despite the fact that we know that humans are going to screw, screw a lot of things up and people in power are going to really screw things up, uh, we, can, we can rest in God's uh, ultimate power and, and providence above all things. And we, we rejoice in the fact that, that God is ultimately who we put our final hope in. And of course, if you really do want to try and affect social change, you need to start both with yourself and so with things that are outside elections. You know, elections are, are really symptoms of things that are happening in a culture. I think that's something we definitely learned from this last election, especially uh, in, in this past November 2016. So I hope that you've learned a few things uh, from this discussion. Uh, we hope that you'll take it to heart. We, we hope you'll take a look at the show notes and look at some of the uh, essays and books that we've cited there and, and learn even more from those things. And we also hope that you'll come back next time and listen to the Libertarian Christian Podcast again. We encourage you as well to contact us with your comments and feedback. We love to hear from you, and we do read every message that you send uh, and take it to heart. You can reach us in a bunch of different ways. You can uh, reach us at LCI Official on Twitter. You can reach us on Facebook.com slash Libertarian Christians. And then, of course, going to the Libertarian Christian Institute website at LibertarianChristians.com slash contact. You can find a contact form there and reach us as well. Thanks for listening in. We'll see you next time. The Libertarian Christian Podcast is a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute, a registered 501c3 nonprofit. The audio engineers were Doug Stewart and Jason Rink, and voiceovers were by Matthew Bellis and Caitlin Horn. If you'd like to find out more about the LCI, please visit us on the web at www.libertarianchristians.com.